Probably the most well-known story in Scripture is the, the scene where the disciples are with Jesus in the boat, and he's asleep, and there's a storm, and they're all up in arms, wondering, where is he? And, and then he steps up, and he, he calms, calms the waters, calms the storm, supernaturally, right? He speaks to the waves, the very wind and the waves, and they're amazed that the wind and the waves obey his voice. You know, sometimes, sometimes God calms the storm and sometimes he calms us. And, and, and so many times you've probably heard it, it said that if you just had a little bit more faith, maybe he'd calm that storm. It's so wrong. You can see in that very scene that what Jesus says to them is, Oh, you of little faith. It was necessary for Jesus to calm the storm because of their little faith. Not because of their great faith. He doesn't calm the storm because they have great faith and call upon him. He calms the storm because of their little faith. And so what's so much more difficult is shaping the person, not the waves. And sometimes God changes things. The cliche says, sometimes God changes things. And sometimes God changes me and I change things. What's more difficult? Well, what's more difficult is when you have will versus will, right? The wind and the waves, they obey him. They are not pushing back with a will of their own. The series is called, is called Under Construction because all life long, our wills are embattled with the will of God. And what's difficult is for us to yield our will that he may continue to build us towards his best. Sometimes God calms the storm. Sometimes he calms us. Sometimes God changes things. Sometimes he changes us and we change things. Today, let's consider, how does God change us to change things? How, through prayer, does God meet us and continue to shape us? From the Word of God, Romans chapter 8, starting with verse 26 through 30. Would you open your Bibles if you had them? If you have them, if you don't, that's fine. It's going to be printed on your screen. Hear God's word, starting with verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. 
And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Let's pray together. Father, call to us this morning. May we hear your voice through your word. Call us up into the hills. Call us higher up and further in. In Jesus' name, amen. So sometimes he calms the storm. Sometimes he calms us. Sometimes he changes things. Sometimes he changes us and we change things. How? 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 That's the question this morning. How does God, through prayer, reach us and continue to shape a life? How does he do that? Here's where we're going. Three revelations. He, he reaches us through prayer by revealing to us, us. He reveals us to us. He reveals our desires to us. He reveals his desires for us. And finally, he reveals himself. He re- reveals us, our desires, that is. What do we really want? He reveals his desires for us. And then finally, he reveals himself. First, he reveals us to us. He reveals our desires to us. He shows us to ourselves. He, he, he doesn't call us when we, when we pray. Okay, this is about in, in, in the midst of prayer. He reveals us to us, right? He says, he invites us then to pray not what's supposed to be there, not what we're supposed to say. O thou, O Lord, thine be the glory. Thou hast, showedest thou thine glory. You know, I mean, so this flowery language, and sometimes we think that's a better prayer. And sometimes we think maybe I, 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 need, to, I need to learn to pray like, like that flowery person who knows how to pray so well. God must really listen to those prayers because they're so ornamental and beautiful, right? And God is saying, Come as you are. Bring what you have. What, what, what God is calling and, and, and revealing to us through this scripture is, is that he starts with where we are, even if it's not the right thing, even if it's not the best thing. Verse 26, it says, even though we do not pray as we ought to pray. And, and, and the purpose in that is, is that we, we know ourselves. We're more aware of what we really want. What do we really want? What do you really want? Do you know what you really want? Do you know your deepest desires? Do you know yourself? And you say, well... What does that matter? How does that shape? How, how does revealing us to us and what we really desire, how does that shape us? There's a guy named Travis Bradbury who wrote a book called uh, Emotional Intelligence. And, and the first step in becoming more emotionally mature is just being aware of yourself. Being aware. What happens when we're not aware? Let's take a look at it that way. Sometimes you, you realize that, that children, they, sometimes children, they don't know what they want, right? They want something. They need something that, that maybe they're tired. And they begin to 
to pull on you, right? They, do, they begin to hang on you. And they, they're, they're, they're whining, they're saying things, they're, 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 they're trying to draw, they want something, but they don't really know what it is that they want. And it comes out at us sideways. It's not good, right? And so the more we are aware of what we really do desire, the greater sense of, of maturity that we have greater contentment, peace, joy, and ability to engage other people in ways that are honest. And so God is revealing through Paul's letter to the Roman church in chapter 8, start with what's there, not with what's supposed to be there. That's how you begin to pray. You know, a friend of mine uh, who's a pastor He's been a, a friend of mine for a long, long time. And about uh, 20 years ago, he, he, he uh, contracted a malignancy, a cancer of his kidney. And, uh, and I said, well, you know, we're going to be praying for you. And he said, I'm going to trust that you will be praying for me, but here's what I'm telling people. No wimpy prayers. No wimpy prayers. That's our mantra in this season. Uh, he's, he's doing well today, but, but at the time, it was, it, was, it was a scary thing. It was a shot across the bow. Didn't know whether it had gotten out. Didn't know what, what the future would hold. But he prayed and called everyone to pray according to what we want. You start there. With what you want. No wimpy prayers. That's where we begin. Because th- th- this, isn't, this isn't playing church, okay? It, it, that's, what you, that's what you get, I hope, with me as your pastor. We don't play church around here. You know, sometimes people will say something they didn't mean to say, like a four-letter word like golf, Right? And you know why it's called golf? Because all the other four-letter words were taken. So someone will say a four-letter word around me, and they'll, ooh, I can't believe I said that around the pastor. That's really impressive to me. Oh, great. That's good. Yeah. Because I don't know those words. (laughs) And I never use those words. And so... And, and so it's really important that you, you put on a, a good face and a good show when, when you're at the church. You don't want to say those words in the church, right? Now, I'm not sanctioning cursing. My point is, I'm poking fun at the way we pretend. You see, what, what God is revealing to us through Paul's words to the Roman church in Romans chapter 8 is that we're called to come just as we are. That's where real change happens, the kind of change that we want, that we need. Not by pretending with flowery language that we're somebody we're not, but, but, but we grow when we first understand who I really am, what do I really want. God says, if you're honest, even if you're angry with me, 
Even if you're angry with the way I'm running the universe, if you're honest, I can work with that. Because the second revelation he has for us is he begins to reveal what he wants for us. He says, I can work with that. Start with where you are. Even if you're praying in a way that isn't what you ought to pray for, then I can begin to mingle in the conversation. My desires for you with groanings, too deep for words. You see, verse 27, it's saying that the Spirit himself enters into conversation with us. Read it again. And he who searches hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And he goes on to to talk about this word groanings. Groanings. Where else do you see that, that word groanings? Well, you see it just a few verses back in verse 22. It says that all creation waits as in the pangs or the groanings of childbirth. So what's going on here? Why is it saying this? Why is it, why is it saying that, 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 that the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings? Well, I, I think the reason is, is that there is in the conversation a shaping, a shaping of our desires, a reshaping of what we really want so that what we want is best for us. That there is something going on in prayer that's bigger than, than us. That, that not everything that we pray for can be prayed for in English and sometimes it just comes out as a, as a, uh, a sigh or a groan. And what's, what's going on there is bigger than us. That, that God would begin to shape our desires because our desires shape us. Uh, I, I'm reminded of a story of this little girl who, who wanted to be uh, a, a cowgirl. When she grew up, she wanted to be a cowgirl. She said, Daddy, I, when I grow up, I want to be a cowgirl. Can you help me be a cowgirl? And he says, yes, sweetheart, anything you want. And she grew and she grew up and, and, and she got to be about 18 years old and, and she, was, she was beginning to apply for college and she said, Dad, I, I'm really looking forward to going to, uh, to college. And he says, well, I, I'm sorry, darling, but you said when you were young you wanted to be a cowgirl, so all our money is tied up in real estate out west for your, your ranch, right? Now, see, of course, that's, it's a false story, but, but, but it's just to illustrate the point. When you're young, when you're immature, when you're, when you're saying, this is what I want, we don't always know what's best for us and what we want. What if God were to give us, when we ask for a stone, what if he were to give us a stone instead of saying, but don't you want to fish? You see, what's happening in the course of our praying, even when it's not... English is that the Spirit Himself is having a conversation with your soul. It's more than you can measure, it's more than you can understand. But spending the time with God, spending that time, that the time that you can measure, the words you can measure, the groans you can actually hear, that 
more than can be measured is happening. That those very means, like, like when, we, when you see a, a table set here with, with bread and, and, and with a cup, you can see it, you can taste it, you can touch it. And yet there's something mysterious going on. That's what's happening in your prayers. God is revealing to you a better way. He's revealing to you his very will, his desires for you. So, so he shapes us through revealing us to us, starting where we are. He says, come as you are. But number two, he, he says, don't expect to be left where you are. Come as you are, but don't expect to be left that way. You know, so often we think of the church as, as a place where you come as you are, and, and we think of ourselves as a welcoming community, as, as people who would reach out in every direction, 360 degrees, everyone is welcome here, come as you are. But how much more powerful is it when the God of the universe who knows that you're not where you are invites you to come as you are? but intends for you to go higher up and further in. You see, that's how C.S. Lewis puts it. He says, you know, that's, that's the Christian life. It's, it's a walk up into the hills, higher up and further in, in a relationship with Christ. And so our will, our desires are, are being shaped so that we have the strength to relate higher up and further in. So he reveals. He reveals what we really want. He reveals to us what is better for us. You know, Jesus did this himself. Jesus, he brought in the Garden of Gethsemane, he brought what he really wanted. What did he want at the time? His human desire was what? Let this cup pass from me. His anxiety, his, his, his fears, his, his trepidation over being separated from God over, over the, 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 the coming uh, 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 piercing pain of death. He didn't pray, only if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. Do you see the difference? He said, God, please let this cup pass from me 100%. That's what I want. And yet he came away from that prayer saying, yet, not my will, but your will be done. Do you see the difference? You see, he doesn't begin tentatively. He doesn't begin with any wimpy prayers. He doesn't say, oh God, only if it's your will, please let us find another way besides the cross, besides crucifixion. Only if it's your will. He said, Lord, let this cup pass from me. And because he is honest, not playing church, not pretending to be someone he's not, not pretending to be somewhere he's not, he brought his human concerns before God and God elevated those concerns. You see, that's where we get shaped. But not only does he reveal us to us, not only does he reveal uh, his desire for us, he reveals himself to us through prayer. He reveals himself. Not, not, not just what he wants for us, but himself. 
Now, here's what's so important about that. You see, sometimes we pray to God as though he were some kind of eternal vending machine. Yeah, we do. It's not just that we're, we're coming honestly, but that we don't have those groanings, that expectation that there's something bigger going on. We just want what we want when we want it, and that's it. And if we don't get it, if we think the prayers are bouncing off the ceiling, then what we have is not God. We have some kind of alter ego. If you're not coming to prayer for a conversation with greater expectations than your desires alone, then maybe you don't have God. Maybe you just have some Jiminy Cricket, some inner conscious voice. And God is saying, let me reveal to you who I really am. J.B. Phillips wrote a book many years ago called Your God is Too Small. And he goes on and he talks about the different uh, ways that we picture God as the old man, the grand old man with the white beard in in the sky, right? Or we picture him as a sheriff, you know, just waiting for us to mess up, rooting, tooting, hollering, whatever. Ooh, you messed up. Or we picture him as some step and fetch it, fetch it. you know. Remember the old commercial, Gar- Garcon, Garcon, bring me another, you know. We, we, we picture him as this servant with a, with a towel over his arm. Just, you know, what, what can I get for you? An, an eternal vending machine. And yet through prayer and sometimes through the painful places where we're not getting what, you, what, what we want, God is saying, I am God and you're not. Do you really want me? Or do you just want what you want when you want it? Yeah, Lincoln, uh, President Lincoln, in the middle of the Civil War, uh, went to a prayer be- breakfast. And there were a, a group of ministers who said, we're, we're here to pray that God will be on our side. And Lincoln famously said, let's not pray that God is on our side. Let's pray that we're on his. You see, in the course of our praying, we begin to see that God works all things to the good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Do we believe then? Do we believe that in conversation that we are mingling our voices in such a way that our wills are bent towards his will, that we would walk on this earth lined up with his very best, that we are willing through the course of prayer, even in the groaning, groanings that are compared to, to, to giving birth to a child, that we would be Change that our desires would be shaped, that there would be an expectation that is greater even through the painful process of yielding our will. That he would shape a life through shaping our desires. A lot of people are thrown by the predestined language and a lot of times what, what we're confusing is that we're confusing Uh, the language of predestination as though it were some sort of determinism, that that God has everything already sealed up and and everything's done, and and, and even the the movement of my hand this way was predetermined before the course of time. No, what predestination language is saying is it's, it's giving the perspective that God is shaping 
all of human history towards his ends. Not that he causes everything to happen, but that, that he works through everything to bring it to his glorious manifestation. And so when you're reading predestination language, what you're reading is somebody who's talking about the assurance that God is sovereign. That there's a sense of peace that when I'm praying, that even if I'm not getting what I want, when I want, how I want, that God is sovereign. And to, to be able to, to tie that, that knot at the end of that rope and say, there is a sovereign Lord over all things. And to be able to hang there and say, Lord, I'm at the end of my rope, but you are sovereign. Is to be in the very place where God can say, all right, you really do belong to me. And I really can shape your life. And I will respond to your prayers in a way that will not debilitate your faith and your trust. And so God reveals himself. And in so doing, he reveals to us what our greatest need really is so that our desire would begin to be shaped into what we really need. What if you never wanted what you really need? You see, there are some things, there's some places in your mind and heart, your spouse can't reach it, your job can't reach it, no accomplishment can reach it, nothing that you can do or imagine or experience can reach it. There's some places in your life and mind and heart, even in your emotions, where only God can satisfy. And so what a mercy it is for God to use the difficult circumstances of our life to turn our desires towards Him and towards Him alone. What if our needs, what if our desires never lined up with what we truly need? And when Jesus uh, first calls a couple of uh, His disciples, He says, He asks them, What do you want what do you want I would ask you that this morning as you consider what's your list what's your honest list not not the flowery language list what's your no wimpy prayers list what what who, who are you do you know yourself do you know your desires do you know his desires for you And do you know that his greatest desire for you is to have your desire, your deepest desire lined up with your greatest need. And that is the need to know him, even to know him assuredly in prayer. To know that that at the very end of this passage when it says, He justified, he who he justified, he also glorified. He's using past tense language for something that hasn't happened yet. Do you you stand in a place where you have that level of confidence that you belong to him, that his glory is meant for you, is stored up? 